Good morning. How are you all? Having a good summer so far? Wow, I was really grateful for some sunshine yesterday because Seren, our lovely Seren, turns one tomorrow and we had a few family members over yesterday. I don't know how that's gone so quickly that year, um, but it was really nice. We actually managed to sit in the garden for a chunk of yesterday. Hurrah, summer. Um, Lindsay has done a really great job at preempting my message this morning, so God must be on the move, uh, because actually I want to talk about um, what we do with some of what we've heard. This month, um, we have explored some very, very weighty issues across the world, and it's easy to feel overwhelmed by the scale of the injustice that we see, both on our doorstep and across the world. And so today I want to try and put some real practical hands and feet on how you and I can actually do something with what we've heard. So I've entitled my message, For the One and For the World. You see, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died for all of humanity to ensure that we could be restored into incredible relationship with our dad in heaven, to right every injustice. But he also died for you and he died for me. And when we think about justice, sometimes we can think about um, the world global scale and forget that actually there's just a one person that we can start with. There's somewhere that we can begin. And interestingly, I plan to tell you the story of the starfish, uh, but my work here is done. <laughs> this is us on holiday. Well, it's not me. It's Pete and Aria, but I was there too. It was pre-Seren. She didn't exist yet. And uh, we were having a rather nice holiday. But one of the things that Aria loved to do whilst we were on the beach is collect shells, but also throw starfish back into the sea. And there were so many starfish and jellyfish um, washed up onto the beach. And she would pick them up and show them to us proudly. And then, with daddy's help, throw them out far enough to uh, get back into water because she knew that otherwise they weren't going to survive. And I guess when it comes to what we do with some of what we've heard... Sometimes it can feel like our contribution is just a drop in the ocean, as Lindsay said. Like, what possible difference can we make to the ruins and the devastation that we see everywhere in our world? Well, here's the thing. We can't do everything, but we can do something. We can't help everyone, but we can help someone right? And that's the best possible place to start. There are some of us sitting here or who will listen online who are called to make a difference to the world or to whole people groups and demographics, who are called to entire regions, cities, nations. But there are others, others of us who are actually called to simply find one person and start there and then God will lead us to the next, and the next, and the next. And if we, those of us who were here last week listening to Bishop D'Souza will know that that's simply what he did. He began with one individual, and out of that has birthed an entire movement that is changing the face of a nation. Isn't that incredible? Now, one of our distinctives as a network is that of rebuilding ruins. You know, um, 
a while ago, probably two, three years ago, we had vision statements um, for the year and they were rebuilding ruins, building bridges and creating culture. And we taught into them. And they actually felt after a while, <laughs> sorry, I have a daughter who desperately wants to uh, be with me this morning. So do you know what? Pray for our kids. Do pray for our kids because um, sometimes it's a lot for them. So please do pray for them. Um, anyway, Rebuilding ruins is one of those three distinctives that we preached into, but it, it became clear over the course of that year that they were more than just a theme, a nice theme for us, a bit like this justice theme, but that actually they were intrinsic to who we were called to be as a church network. And so now for Skylark International, the wider family that Pete and I head up, that we are all a part of, those three things have become our vision statements, that we exist to rebuild ruins, we exist to build bridges and we exist to create culture. And I want to revisit some of what I have um, had on my heart in the past. I'm actually, I'm revisiting some things and I've wrestled with this because it doesn't sit well for me. Every time I stand up here, I bring you something brand new. But this message just... It wouldn't leave me. And so it comes with different revelation and it comes from a different perspective. But some of it I have touched on before. And I make no apology for that in the end this morning because I actually feel like we weren't ready for it then. But this series about Justice Matters has prepared us for it now. So what does it look like for us to be rebuilders of ruins? Isaiah 61 says this, They will rebuild, that's the people of God, the ancient ruins, repairing cities long ago destroyed. They will revive them, though they have been empty for many generations. Isaiah 58, 12 says, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be, recall, will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And actually the beginning of that passage in Isaiah 58 says this, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn." Rebuilding ruins, restoring the kingdom here on earth is one of our kingdom distinctives. But what do ruins of injustice look like? Suffering, brokenness, despair, sickness, war, devastation, famine, poverty, loss, pain, racism, inequality, family disintegration, rejection, children trapped in the care system, loneliness, suicide, mental and emotional stress and sickness, relational breakdown, low self-esteem, and the list goes on and on. Do you recognize any of those ruins in the world around you? Do you recognize them in your sphere of influence? I tell you what, I can see them everywhere. They're on a personal scale, but they're also on a global scale. And we are called as church to emulate Jesus' example on the cross. We're called for the world, but we're also called for the one. So how do we do that? How do we rebuild those ruins that we see around us? 
If we know that some of us are called to the world and some of us are called to the one and probably a combination of both, well, taking a look at chapters one and two of Nehemiah, I think will give us some keys. And I'm going to hurtle through these at lightning speed, so I'll be skipping out slides this morning as time isn't on our side today. The first part of the process of rebuilding is to empathize. And this is where I'm going to linger the longest because this is the thing that God has undone me with this week. To feel compassion. You see, when Nehemiah saw the devastation of the city walls, his first response was to weep. Verses three and four, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. There's the injustice. There's the ruin. When I heard this, I raced out and started rebuilding. No. I told everybody what I planned to do. No. I wrote a 10-year strategy of what I planned to do. No. I sat down and I wept. I sat down and I wept. You will never be able to repair the walls if you haven't first wept over the ruins. It's just going to be a botched job. It's going to be like one of those DIY SOS situations where you'll give it your best shot, but you will not be able to paper over the cracks because the only solution for this universe of ours is the love of Jesus. And we can do all the best projects across the world. We can have ministries coming out of our ears. We can have social justice programs. We can sign petitions. We can do all of that. But if love is not our motivation, if love has not first undone us, if we have sat down and wept over the people that God is calling us to minister to, we can't offer them anything of value. When was the last time you sat down and wept over a situation that did not personally affect you? We become so desensitized to it, don't we, church? Come on, let's be real. We're bombarded by these images on the news. There's bad tidings wherever we look. And the truth is that after a while, the images stop affecting us. We become hardened. Our hearts become hard. And from that position, we are completely ineffective no matter what we do. What about the Good Samaritan? Such a beautiful story, isn't it? A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And we know the rest. The priest saw. The temple assistant looked. But the Samaritan felt compassion. And therein 
lie the crux, lay the crux of what Jesus was trying to say in that moment when he told that story about this guy who the Jews despised. He was a Samaritan. He had no business going anywhere near a Jewish man. But he did what both the priest and the temple assistant couldn't bring themselves to do. They saw, but they stopped short of feeling compassion. Oh, I feel so convicted by that. Because if I'm honest, on a daily basis, that's me. I feel compassion for certain things, don't get me wrong. But everything's so accessible now, isn't it? Social media, the media, leaflet drops, charity runs in town. And and to be honest, most of the time, don't you just kind of go like this and think, oh, I've got another gauntlet to run with five people from the Red Cross or whoever it may be that week. Come on, I can't be the only one that if I'm busy feels like that. We are so bombarded that it's so, so easy for us to see, to take a look, but to feel no compassion whatsoever. Our hearts can become, our hearts can become hard. But Nehemiah heard. He didn't even see. He just heard about it. And he sat down and he wept. In fact, he mourned. He fasted and he prayed to the God of heaven. And the thing that I love about that is that he did his weeping in the presence of God. He invited God into that moment. So it wasn't just an emotional response. It was a spiritual response. God was present in his weeping, in his compassion, in his tears. Before we rebuild ruins in the lives of others, before we leap into action, we have to ask ourselves, what's our motivation? Is it guilt? Is it a tick box? Is it a desire for significance or purpose to our lives? Or is it love? Or is it love? Kingdom justice has to be fueled by compassion, not just a desire for change or reform. You see, justice without compassion becomes a crusade. Justice without compassion becomes a crusade. It becomes someone on a mission. And I tell you what, the crusades did not paint the Christian faith in a good light at all. People were coerced into believing in Jesus. People were treated like they were less than human. We don't want our justice to become a crusade. And maybe we're not in danger of that. But I tell you what, one of the things I think we really are in danger of as church is treating people like they're projects. Justice without compassion becomes a crusade, but it can also become a project. In our desire to make a difference out there, to loose the chains of injustice that we see, we can depersonalize and we can dehumanize. And we can forget the love that motivated us to begin with. I read this really interesting article the other day. It was written by a journalist who's disabled. And it was called something like, Stop Praying for Me to Be Healed. And it talked about this journalist's encounters with Christians and their perception of how they were treated by Christians. Christians. 
I don't want to read it all to you because it's super long, but I'll paraphrase. The essence of it was this, that wherever this person goes, he's blind and he has a guide dog, so it's really obvious to see his disability. He finds himself approached by Christians and the first thing that they want to say to him is, I can see you're blind, could I pray for you to be healed? I've done that, right? Okay, so I'm not pointing the finger at anyone in this room who in their desire to see the kingdom of heaven break in has done this. That's not my aim. But I want us to sometimes stop and think about why we do the things that we do as church and how it makes other people feel. So this happens on a regular basis. And he said, do you know what? What it's done is push me away from a desire to discover anything about the Christian faith because what it's made me feel is that I am a project to be fixed. That basically all Jesus wants to do is fix me. Wow. Gosh, that's really hard, isn't it? Because we do want to see the kingdom of heaven break in and we do long to see people healed. But here's the thing. People are not projects. They're made in the image of God. Every single person. Now, There's a load of theology that we could unpack today about why some people end up with a disability from birth and why others don't. And I don't have time to go into that today. But we have to treat people with dignity. And we have to treat people with love. And in our desire to get alongside people, we sometimes forget that, yes, Jesus, he treated everybody with compassion. And yes, he did heal the sick. But there wasn't one person that left an encounter with Jesus feeling like a project. He saw into them. His love was evident and tangible. And maybe for us in our humanity, sometimes what we do is we're so desperate to give people the answer that we feel that they need, the fix, the DIY, the repair, to be part of that project mentality, that we don't take the time to love people for the long haul and speak into their lives from that position. Gosh, I know that's hard. I know that's hard. And I don't want you to hear that I don't believe it's right to pray for people. I do it. But sometimes in our own desperation to see God come into a situation, we can forget that we're dealing with a real person. And not every person that we want to pray for for a particular issue is crying out for that thing to be fixed in their lives. Maybe there's something of far more importance to them that if we took the time to listen carefully to Holy Spirit, if we took the time to look beyond the external, we might be able to speak into. Jesus, in Luke 7, 13, his heart overflowed with compassion for a woman who'd lost her son. And he goes on to resurrect him. Matthew 20, 34, Jesus had compassion on two blind men who cried out for mercy. He touched their eyes and they received their sight. When Jesus had withdrawn to a lonely place to process losing John the Baptist, a a large crowd followed him. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Everything Jesus did came from that place that heartbeat of love. And as Skylarks, we're not called to love from a lofty position. 
Do you remember that one of the things about a skylark is that they don't nest in trees? They nest on the ground. And that means that we don't love people from a position of superiority. It means that we love them, identifying that we too are broken. And that if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't have anything worth giving. I think we know it, but sometimes I think we don't know it. And after a while, the longer we've been walking with Jesus, the more we feel like somehow it's on our own merit and how well we've studied our Bible or how well we're doing as a church or how big our congregation is or whatever. I've been really, I'm just going to move away from my notes now. I've been really troubled this week by something that I've seen. And that is that there have been two really well-known Christian leaders in very well-known Christian churches who have, quote-unquote, fallen away. And I've been looking at people's responses to that. And I've been struck by those responses. And I've had to spend a load of time thinking, why do I feel uncomfortable about some of this? I just, I don't know why, because I don't disagree with a lot of what's being said, but there's still this thing deep inside of me that's like, I'm not, I'm not okay with some of what I've seen Christians writing. And, um, and I needed to think about why that is. And I think it really comes down to this thing that we're talking about this morning. You see... We love to look at where someone else has gone wrong and to try and find an answer for why it happened. We're just so quickly in there, aren't we? And instead of sitting down like Nehemiah and weeping over the fact that that's two children who are precious to God, who are close to turning their back on their Christianity, on their faith, on their love relationship with Jesus, we straight away want to launch in and go, well, if their church had taught them this, they wouldn't be there. Or, do you know what? If somebody had discipled them better, they wouldn't be there. If they had those right foundations in place. Now, all of that is actually probably true. But we've arrived at Z before we've actually sat down and allowed God to break our heart for compassion. And then, you know, what we also do is we respond in this tone that is just so unbecoming of a sinner saved by grace. It's so unbecoming of us. And it's not that our points are wrong. And it's not that our desire to see biblical truth instilled into people from an early age is wrong. It's just that actually, do you know what? Jesus stood in front of crowds of people and taught them the word. I mean, they had the word of God from the author themselves and still multitudes of them chose to walk away from following him because it was just too hard. They just couldn't, they couldn't sacrifice that much to pick up their cross and follow him the closer they got. And that's Jesus. We could have all the best teaching in the world. We could have the best biblical foundations, the best discipleship. But the truth is, following Jesus for a lifetime is a really hard deal. It's not a crutch. It's not easy. 
And so I guess the thing that's unsettled me is that I feel like how are we ever going to fix the ruins that we see beyond the four walls of the church if that's how we respond to the brokenness that we see within the church? I'm just asking the question. And so I've sat with Jesus and I've said, look, I want to understand why I feel unsettled about this because I don't disagree with some of the things that have probably gone wrong. But I think the thing is, actually, we're so quick to kind of leap in and decide what went wrong that we forget that the point is that our God is the God who leaves the 99 to chase after the one. He is for the world and he is for the one. And he is every bit as much for those leaders who have fallen and who need to be restored as he is for the neighbor that we are called to and can more obviously see. It's just we seem to have less grace for those who already know the truth than those who don't. Can we think about that? I know that there's other sides to that argument. It's, It's simplistic to think that there aren't. But sometimes I don't think we stop to think before we nest in a tree. So, this morning, as I come into close, I want to encourage us. We can't help everyone, but we can help someone. There are things that you can do, and if you don't know where to start this morning, I want to say this. Love with no agenda. Love does not discriminate due to race, religion, age, gender, any other social or economic factor. Be kind. Be kind. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Be gracious. Treat the people that you're looking to serve as people and not projects. Don't look to fix them. Love them. Let Jesus do the fixing. There's a beautiful song written by Brian and Jen Johnson. It's called For the One. It says this. Teach me to love with open arms like you do. A love that erases all the lines and sees the truth. So that when they look in my eyes, they would see you. Even in just a smile, they would know the Father's love. Church, there'll be things that are birthed as a result of our Justice Matters theme. Of that, I have no doubt. God is calling us for the world and for the one to make a lasting difference and to to rebuild the ruins of injustice that we see. But my question is this, before we leap into action, can we sit in the uncomfortable place a little bit longer, the uncomfortable place of saying, I'm going to sit down and weep. God, what is it that you want to break my heart for? Where is it that you want me to find compassion for somebody that I just can't have it for? Where have I become desensitized? Because I know that in us, we're champing at the bit, aren't we? I hear it in every conversation. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Come on, I've heard it now, but I just I want to be out of the gate. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. And if I were to be so generous 
as to give away everything I owned to feed the poor, to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love. I would gain nothing of value. Let's stand. God, you know, there was so much planned that wasn't said this morning. But I do know that you're calling us to be filled with compassion for the world and for the one. Let's raise our hands this morning, church, for those of us who just want to be filled afresh with compassion. Don't do it lightly. Don't do it because I asked you to. Because this prayer that we're about to pray could seriously change our lives. It might unlock the floodgates. We might feel like we're never going to get back up from sitting down and weeping, but I promise you we will. Jesus, we are so sorry. We are so sorry where our hearts have become hearts. Our hearts have become hard and desensitized to the suffering and the pain and the brokenness that we see around us. Jesus, we are so sorry where in our haste and our zeal to complete the Great Commission, we sometimes forget to love people well. We treat them like projects or things to be fixed. And in the process, we dehumanize them. God, we're sorry. We are so sorry for that. And in the stillness of our own hearts this morning, we want to invite you very simply over the days, weeks, months, and years to come. And as a church, corporately, to break our hearts for the things that break yours, to feel compassion, to see others as you see them. Lord, I pray that our love would increase, that my love would increase, that pure love, so that every deed, every ministry, every project, every prayer prayed, every person fed and clothed would not come from our need to find purpose or our desire to be on a mission but from pure love for you and love for the people that you have created every single person on the planet special to you may we be those who run after the one and may we be those who are willing to grieve over the ruins we see in our world. And one by one by one by one, as we throw those starfish back into the sea, may we never ever lose our heart motivation of love. We give you permission, Lord, to do what you need to do to soften our hearts. Let it be so. Amen. Have a great week.